are live for episode 20, our season finale of season one of Mind Your Body and Soul, the Healthy Podcast, which is the healthiest podcast out here right now. I'm Joseph Ward. I'm joined by the incredible Mr. Matias Sweet. What's up, y'all? What's up? So remember, Mind Your Body and Soul is an educational podcast that focuses on all things health-related. With, uh, to help our listeners learn more about various health topics and information they may or may not have access to. We seek to inform, empower, uplift, and mobilize our listeners to become the healthiest versions of themselves. And remember, we are usually available on every Wednesday, but we did a little something special this time, and we're going to let you know what it is. But remember, visit our website at nmcpodcast.com to learn more about our podcast. You can also catch us on Anchor, Breaker, Radio Public, Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and of course, YouTube's or our neighborhood's Medical Center YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe to the channel and hit that little bell so you get all the notifications when we drop new videos. Also, like, comment, share. So that way, that algorithm can pick us up. We get more of this information out because, look, this is a good one today. So, yesterday, February 7th, was National Black HIV AIDS Awareness Day. And we also have Valentine's Day coming up. So we always try to make sure that we can do something for both. But of course, coronavirus makes stuff a little spicy this year. So we had to kind of think outside the box. So we got some Valentine's Day things coming up. But this one is focusing more on NBAD. And NBAD and is National Black HIV AIDS Awareness Day and our season finale for season one. So we had to end it right. We had to end our season off right. We can't be half-stepping. So we brought in two heavyweights to help us end this season oh. off. Right. So Matias and I, so we got to set it up right. We got to set it up right now. We were some part of a leadership training this past summer. And the two gentlemen that are, are with us today were a part of this leadership training. And Matias and I, we learned a lot from this training. And we learned a lot from these gentlemen as well because they are our uh, allies in our fight to uh, help to stop the further spread of HIV AIDS, especially in the black community, but overall. And we we were inspired by these gentlemen because we would have conversations after the training, like, man, they got their stuff together. We got got to get our stuff together. They got their stuff together. Started started an organization from the ground up uh, in the Houston, Texas area put with their passion, their effort, their grit, their education, and just everything that they wanted to do, they created an organization called the Normal Anomaly Initiative. Straight out of Houston, Texas, I want to say thank you, and I want to introduce everybody to Mr. Ian L. Haddock and Titan Capri. Welcome, gentlemen. Welcome, welcome, welcome. (laughs) That was an amazing introduction. Thank you all very much. Uh, thank you, know, you. We had to show okay. you the southern hospitality. You know, yeah. we right. Yeah. Right. Like, I just want to know: Can we get it again? That's all. Can we get it? <laughs> I travel. That's I got it. You. I That's go wherever you need to go. Okay, because you got me and Ian over here cheesing like some Chester cats. Like, <laughs> yeah. Hey, man, but, curlies. <laughs> but you know, you all like we say, you all do great work. Um, we like Matias and I. We had several conversations about I. Right, so what we gonna do to get these gentlemen down with what we got going on? How we gonna collaborate with these gentlemen? Because you you can't when you seeing good things going on, you can't just walk by and go, oh, okay, 
Oh, you can't hate on. You got to congratulate, and you got to. All right, how can I help? How can I right. be? How, how can, can we I? take what you guys do and help put a spin on it down here? Because right. we reach the same population, but the dynamics are so different. The whole disparities, everything is different versus, you know, we're a little more south, y'all over here, but we still basically have the same type of demographics and everything. And especially when we deal with the LGBTQ population, it varies from city to city. And knowing that the, you know what I'm saying, down here in Florida is, Tallahassee is chill compared to anywhere else. You go down to Orlando, Miami, it's done ramped up 10 times fold. But you know, we we travel over there to Houston Splash and we go do different uh, things in Atlanta. So the population, we don't have that. It's big, but it's not as big as y'all's. And the work you guys do with the LGBTQ population and the transgender, it just inspires us because we're one of the only two people here in the city who really go out hard for transgender. And we have a few others who work with us that go hard. We have like maybe one or two support groups and things like that, but we're trying to get more and do things. But we just see like on Facebook and on your Instagrams and things on how y'all go out in the community. And that's something me and Joe do. We hit the pavement and we don't find too many people who are young African-Americans who hit the pavement anymore to help the community. So that's one reason why we really wanted you guys on here. And so, you know, to give y'all stories and tell, so hopefully we can inspire other young men as well as other LGBTQ to come out and join this fight with us. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think it's an important part uh, an important point to start with that we are who we've always been waiting for, right? Um, and when we think about the work that needs to be done, the reality is, um, you know, we can sit around and we can talk about what needs to be done or we can talk about the actions that it's going to take uh, to move the needle forward. And I think that, um, you know, I think that a lot of what we've been doing, uh, you know, advocacy is great. Uh, but we got to be activists, right? We got to be active in the movement, um, in which intersect all of the multiplicities of disparities in which uh, the intersections in which we identify and the intersections in which the people that we work with identify look like. And so um, I'm just grateful to be around some people that are active, right? Um, and advocating, active in movement, active in changing the very narrative of, you know, what it looks like to sit within these intersections. So thank, thank you all for all you do. And uh, I'm grateful for the support that you all give us. Yes, indeed. So, yeah, I want to send, uh, just piggyback off of that really quick. Thank you all for what you all do and what you continue to do. And thank you for wanting to have us, you know what I'm saying? On uh, one thing that I do want to uh, just chime in on and what Ian stated is that we basically do the work in, out, and around the community, but it's from people like us, right? Um, and I think that's what uh, I love about it so much, what the Normal Anomaly does. We hit the ground running, like, um, like the, uh, like, uh, we, we, we want to make sure that we are visible. I'm trying to get the words out, like visible. So we want to make sure that we're on the ground being visible. We're in the middle of our community. We're with our community, and we support them like that. So, yeah, thank you all so much. Joe, you want me to start or you want to start? No, you got the first question. But hold <laughs> on. I do, I do want to say we're looking forward to this being the first of many collaborations with you. Yes. 
because mm-hmm. you think the world is here. So, right yeah. because we re- we really do think like when we saw you guys on there and we started hearing what y'all do and then we started following you on facebook i was like it's other people like me that really want to do something <laughs> for like the lgbtq they really want to do something for trans because we normally for september we normally go out a whole weekend for national gay black hiv aids awareness day we do a full weekend where we sponsor three course meals where we have drag shows and pageant like we go all the way out but we couldn't do it because of COVID. So hopefully this year in September, y'all can come down if we have if everything is clear to fly and everything and we can have it. We'll get come you. down and we'll show you a good southern hospitality on how we we educate the the, the community down here. Matias, well, you I, had me at three course meals. Yes. <laughs> and it'd be like shrimp and steak. It, it'd be, it'd be oh, good. he said steak. Uh oh. <laughs> yeah. So so, Can you gentlemen tell us a little about your background, about yourselves, and how you became to take part in this fight against HIV? Titan, I take it first. Okay. So I, um, um, so we we just had a little conversation uh, off the air uh, about my name. My name is uh, Titan Capri, and um, I've been in the community uh, since. Ooh, 96, 97, around that time. And so um, I'm a black gay male living with HIV, thriving with HIV. And so just recently about maybe a couple of years ago, maybe two years ago, um, I basically stood up and spoke my truth. And so with that being said, I had went to Ian and uh, told Ian that I, um, I could no longer be quiet. I could no longer uh, sit in the background. Uh, I had been dealing or not dealing with my HIV status uh, for some time, and I thought it was time for me to do that. And um, Ian had an idea and thought it would be good for me to be a part of that idea. And so it was called the Outcry Documentary. And basically, it talked about uh, HIV and AIDS or um, us in the Black community and faith, right? because the church is a cornerstone of the community. So I was able to go on and speak my truth and um, be visible, um, be be honest about where I was and uh, where I stood in the community. And at that point, I wasn't standing anywhere near where I'm standing now, Um, but I was able through the documentary to stand up and speak my truth. And that's what kind of got me started um then to know that ian had already produced uh the normal anomaly um doing good things in the community and then we just he brought me on and we kind of expanded what that was and the reason that i think that it spoke to me and allowed me to be where i'm at today because it allowed me to be authentically me just directly me uh like you said earlier on uh on the ground running right uh, representation, things like that. And I didn't see a lot of that. Um, and so with that, the normal nominee allowed me to get in the fight, stay in the fight, and still be in the fight today. So, yeah. Okay, okay. That was a pageant answer. I felt like that was a pageant answer. That, that was a pageant answer. And I'm going to have to go look you up and find out. I have to watch because I watch yeah. pageants all the time. So, oh, okay. got to go back and watch it out on YouTube. Okay, check me out. <laughs> I, I've been um, I've been in the in the public health world um, since um, about 2009. 
so I came in the public health world. I had a really interesting, I guess, entry into the public health world. Um, I was the one that they was trying to save. Uh, <laughs> I started. <laughs> I started this work um, from being a sex worker. I was a prostitute and um, I was going to get tested pretty regularly. And I think both my counselors and myself were surprised that though I was getting other STIs, I was, you know, I was tested negative for HIV. And they were like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just coming to get tested quite often. <laughs> I'm okay. And uh, they offered me a part-time outreach position off the street to meet to meet the needs of people that looked, loved, and did some of the things that I was doing. And uh, I got really, really intrigued by the idea of being a part of this work. I was uh, pretty much adopted around 16 by a person who was openly living with HIV. And so this was something that I had been hearing a lot about from that person. Um, but this was my first entryway into uh, that type of position. And I worked through the system um, because whether I was doing sex work, because sex work is work, or if I was doing outreach work, um, the reality is I was just, you know, very um, tied to it and I was very passionate about it. And so I worked through the system uh, for about five or six years until I got to the county. Um, and I worked with the, uh, I managed some programs with the county for about nine months. And I was sitting at the county uh, two days before um, my 30th birthday, which was, uh, you know, a little over three years ago. And I was sitting there, it was like the 27th of October. And I remember sitting there thinking like, all my job at this point is to do is to find people living with HIV. Um, is to test as many people as I possibly can until I find people living with HIV. The more I find um, people that look like me that have HIV, uh, the longer I can be here at the county and the longer I can keep this retirement plan. Mm -hmm. And um, at some point I said, uh, is my community worth um, just a $50,000 salary uh, and a cubicle? And uh, on October 30th, I put in my resignation and they let me go on my birthday, which is November 1st. So since November 1st, uh, around 2016, uh, I have been doing this work with the Normal Anomaly. And it came just from an idea of there is more to us um, and we need more. Uh, the reality is, uh, we can talk about ending the epidemic by finding new positives. That's important. We can talk about ending the epidemic by getting people on PrEP. I've been on PrEP since 2014. That's important. We can talk about stigma in a theoretical framework. That's important. We can talk about theories, sociological theories, such as diffusions of innovations and so on and so forth. That's important. We can have patient navigators and peer navigators and social workers. All of that's important, but until people see that we value their lives, until we teach people how to value their existence, until we uh, actively, actively fight stigma by people like me who are not living with HIV, but will step up and step out without somebody being present because you never know uh, what it looks like until we normalize uh, the, 
whether whether public health accepts it or not, until we normalize condomless sex and talk from a framework that understands that people are doing it um, and that we cannot um, we cannot monitor adults' bodies, but we need to work from there. Until we really get honest, um, we will not end the epidemic. And so um, I realized I could work for a lot of organizations, and I and we do work with a lot of organizations and consulting in different in different ways. But the reality is going to take a radical look at white supremacy, a radical look at the public health framework, a radical look at social justice to end the HIV epidemic, because this is not just a public health health issue. This is affecting black and or queer people. This is affecting Latin and or women, right? So this is a racial and social justice issue, not, not anything different than um, then when we talk about uh, wages, when we talk about other health disparities, when we talk about uh, police brutality, this fits into that same framework. And until we really look at that, um, we're going to have a hard time ending the epidemic. And so the normal anomaly was created to be uh, that agent, that change agent, that agent to, to push. And we're not done yet. We're just beginning. But I'm grateful for the journey. Yeah. You sound like a conversation me and Joe have every day. And and yeah. that's the sad part. It's like we out here doing the work, but it's like you see people who come into the community and like, oh, I want to be here, I want to help. But then you come in here, get your numbers, and you go. And then the people be like, they don't know you. Me and Joe motto is if you ain't got a street nickname or a hood nickname, you ain't out there doing the work. So that's what we really look at, and that's what we admire about you guys, because y'all are actually hitting the pavement like we do. Right. So it's like it's it's a great comfort that we can find somebody else that hits the pavement because now we can call and be like, hey, I'm struggling with this. How can I get this through to this person? Yeah. Especially that you showed your story, and I commend you for sharing your story because both of you guys have a tremendous story that I couldn't imagine even sharing because we all come from different walks of life, and that's the best part about it. And we can relate to everybody from each thing, but you can relate a little bit more than I can for certain aspects. And so now I'm definitely going to reach upon you guys for more because we deal with a lot of commercial sex workers and we deal with a lot of people who are HIV positive, but it's hard for a straight man as Joe and uh, uh, a homosexual man like myself who really hasn't been in those disparities at all or haven't had to go through them thing. I know people who've been through there, but I can't really relate, but I can empathize. And so I know people and hear stories and things like that, but it's just great to have somebody I can say, hey, let me call somebody and I can figure out who's been in your same shoes in your situation. And so that's what I like about the peers and the things that you guys do. So it kind of goes into our next question. So because you almost answered it, is there anything else you want to tell us about the normal anomaly initiatives in your organization? Yeah, you know, it's 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 centered around, you know, HIV advocacy, uh, but it is not an organization that focuses on HIV. <laughs> we focus on racial and social injustices. Um, and we want to just always make it clear that focusing on HIV is focusing on racial and social injustice. Okay. It is focusing on white supremacy. It is focusing on um, it is focusing on how black trans lives can't matter just for a hashtag. 
and how we can't wait on a hashtag. It is focusing on how sex work is work, especially, um, especially I was talking to somebody just real quick and I'll let I can take this over, but this this brings up something. I was talking to uh advisory board for an organization and the organization is looking for someone that has some expertise around substance use and substance abuse. And I found it so interesting that the first thing on the employment application was a master's degree. And I said, okay, cool. The second <laughs> thing on the application was no felony background. I said, oh, so you want somebody that knows substance abuse from theory, not, not someone you want from a personal experience. Because likely if you've had real substance abuse or substance issues, you likely don't have a master's right. and or you have a background, right? right. So um, it's really important for us to, you know, keep these things in context. And so that's why I'm always pu pushing the envelope. We'll not end any epidemic black and brown bodies against queer um, and and non-straight. Well, let me know. Queer and non-heterosexual males, even though heterosexual males, that's the whole thing, Joe, uh, which I can <laughs> talk about. In the in the in the common um, questions, because I think that we miss out on straight males and their allyship and the things that they need also. Um, but we, we won't be in, able to end uh, any disparities on black bodies um, until we really expand this and call it what it is. It's white supremacy. Yeah, yeah. I think that um, Ian hit it right on the nail. Excuse me, on the head of the nail. Um, I, I think that we, Ian and I have had probably like you and Joe have had um, conversations. We have conversations all the time about certain things and, and, and we would see in the community and we would say to ourselves, okay, wait, wait. So what happened was one time I went to, just to be real quick, I went to a, um, a I call them gatherings. Uh, Ian likes to laugh when I say gatherings because I am Southern, even though I'm Southwestern, but, um, I went to a gathering that was supposed to be a safe space. Mm -hmm. And um, I walked into that space or that place and it wasn't safe at all. And I told Ian, as I stood there and I looked around, I saw our community and I thought to myself that I'm a part of this. Like I am truly a part of this because I'm being quiet. I believe silence is violence. And so I was just being quiet because I didn't know where I fit in. But as Ian stated, the normal anomaly became that radical organization uh, to stand up and say, okay, this is not what we're gonna do. We're gonna go out and talk to our trans sisters and brothers. We're gonna go out and talk about sex work. We're gonna go out and make sure you know, because just like he said on the application, how are you gonna have somebody with a degree or with a master's that you want expertise in drug use? Like, how does that even work? Like, how does that work? Now, through theory, it works, right? Mm -hmm. We already know that if you have anything, you have experience. And on those applications, they always say, oh, well, if you have five years experience, well, yes, I have experience on the ground running. So I think that uh, the normal anomaly being a small entity uh, in the beginning was our way of getting that uh, skeleton key to get into uh, mm -hmm. where we're at now. So we had to kind of like bust through under the door now we just go to the door, stick in the key, turn it and open it up. And that's how I, I think that uh, a lot of people didn't see us coming because we were so radical in a sense. 
I think that's the only way that we could be because we need to put it in your face. If I can say that, mm-hmm. but, yeah. but that's, that's real because like that's that's how I think. And so I I tone it down a lot mm-hmm. because I don't want to get Matthias in trouble or anybody else in trouble. <laughs> but like we'll be at certain places and somebody will say something and he'll look at me and you can see it all on my face because I don't I, I, I'm not real good at hiding expressions. But my thing is, if we are really out here to help people, then that's what we're supposed to be. Right. We're not supposed right. to be standing around. People don't theoretically go through health disparities. People don't theoretically go through um, any kind of racial disparities, anything like this. Real life is happening out here, not theoretical things. So we can't keep that mindset. Well, if we do it this way, then things will be okay. We that the politically correct thing it has its time in this place. Yeah. But for the most part, we out here really saving lives, like for real. So we have to, we have to make sure that we bring a realistic approach to what we do. Joe, we have this this thing. Me and me and uh, Ian always joke about this all the time. I was like, uh, I used to always say this um, on a podcast. We got to meet them in the streets. Yes. I can tell you how the streets are if I'm standing behind a screen door, behind a a, a burglar bar, behind the shades. I, I don't right. know. I don't know. So when Ian uh, first went out, we first went out, he was like, blah, 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 blah. And people were like, what? And then I was like, oh, okay. So that's how we get down. Okay, let's let's go down and and say that. So no, I I get it. I get it. Because Ian does this thing. I always joke with him about this. He does this thing where he rolls his eyes. Like when something is just not right at all, he'll do that old rolling eye thing. And then I say, brother, you weren't feeling that, were you? He was like, how could you tell? You rolled your eyes. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, nah, it's, it's like, for me, when for, I think about for myself, I, I, I claim to be pro-black for me. Mm-hmm. So that means I'm down for all black people, and I'm down to make sure all black people can mm-hmm. be lifted and empowered and thrive. That part. Now, we know, we understand everybody don't want that for themselves, but that doesn't mean that we can't strive for the greater part of us or all of us, as many that want to come to make our situation better. I mean, that's just my approach. If we're going to do that, we're going to do that. And also, not outside of or in addition to being pro-black, we're here in public health. The health of other groups of people affect the health of my people. Hello. So we need to be, we, we are down here to help any and everybody who we can reach. That's, See, that's what we do. And like how y'all say y'all, you can tell when his eyes rolls. I can tell when Joe and I be like, Joe, that's not your fight. Let me fight that battle. And okay. then it be like, I need you to step over here and I'll take it from here. Wow. Because you gotta when, when you work for a big organization, you gotta understand you got to say face sometimes. Yes. It's the time and place for everything. Y'all a smaller organization, so y'all get away with a little bit more than what we can. <laughs> and so it's like you be looking at things and you be like, I know this not right, but I need to figure out how I can fix it on the back end and figure out what we can do and go about doing it the correct way. Because if you know, you know what I'm saying, you you got things and it's it's politics behind everything, especially in public health. No matter what people say, it's the politics behind it. And if certain people don't like what you're doing and things like that, things could happen. So you just got to really look at it and see. But it's like, there, there's days you'd be like, we talking, we be off candy. And I'm like, Joe, I really want to just, ooh. But we got to make it work and figure out how we can do it 
because at yeah. the end of the day, our goal is to reach everybody. And like like me and Joe say, we don't care what color you are. We don't care what you are. People walk in the street and say, hey, you got condoms? Because they know we got condoms in our car or we got mm-hmm. them on us. Or they call me and say, hey, can you tell my girlfriend I'm negative? I don't know. I don't know if you is or not. I can't tell you that. You come and get tested together and then y'all can give each other y'all paperwork. So mm-hmm. it just depends on what you know saying is out there and it's just it's a good feeling when you know you're out there doing the right thing it might not seem like it all the time but it's a good feeling when you know you're doing the right thing and people can't come back and say you know they did this wrong or they did this but they can't do nothing but speak good things about you right and so that that's the pleasure joe and i get out of it and it's like kind of like the same thing it's just but it's hard out there we know trust me we we know so no go ahead go ahead no, I was going to say in the beginning, they tried to put up some roadblocks and uh, because we were going left and they wanted us to go right. Mm-hmm. And um, Ian was already like in the mode of effort. You know what I'm saying? Like, forget y'all. Like, this is mine. Like, I, you can't tell me what to do. However, the same thing that you just mentioned, they were talking about us doing it the wrong way, quote unquote, but they were speaking highly of us because we were reaching people. People were starting to use our name and 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 uh, talk about it. And hey, y'all over here. Oh, okay, Titan. So what are you doing? Oh, the normal anomaly is doing this. So Ian, what are you doing? Normal anomaly. And then it became one of those things to where, like I said, we came out of nowhere and just was like boom. You know what I mean? But we had to do the work on the back end first, like right. you said, right. and uh, get in that door, right? Right. So once you in there, you in there. Yeah. Right. Right. So. Let me ask this because I like the direction of the of the conversation and it, this next question really just fits right in. So from you from you guys' experience, understanding, research, and just everything that you you know about HIV AIDS and Black America, from you all's perspective, what type of impact has HIV AIDS had on Black America, whether it's positive or negative? So I start with you, Ian. What type of impact has it had from your perspective? Yeah. So when you think about us being, you know, roughly 12 or 13 percent of the population, or 42 percent of new HIV infections, you know, you can't help but to think of uh, how powerful this disease has, like, driving our community. And, you know, a lot of research has been done around, you know, women. Um, a lot of this, a lot of research has been done around um, men. Um, but we always think about straight men because straight men don't really get tested. So we don't, I don't even think we really understand the impact and totality of what HIV means for, you know, Black America. Um, but I think that it is indicative of um, the multiple pieces of oppression on which we sit in as it relates to of the United States of America. Now, I do not deny the United States of America is the greatest country on earth. That does not mean it can't be better, and that does not mean it's not great for a particular piece of marginalized people. Um, and so I think that it's just another one of those indicators. I think that because when you work in um, when you work in public health, especially in any type of, you know, STIs or, or things like that, like HIV, around HIV, hepatitis, you know, even if you work in tuberculosis, you begin to look at the disease as kind of like the input or even the output, right? Right. Um, But I I wrote this in an article uh, this week, and I said, 
no matter the input or the output, the outcome is always that it disproportionately negatively affects Black people. COVID um, as an input or output. If you put, if you put um, HIV, if you put um, job or unemployment, if you put anything that you put in there, it almost always is disproportionately negatively affecting Black people. And I think this is just another indicator. It's just another indicator on uh, the work that we must do. I will say this and just offer this. Um, I think we, uh, I think we unrealistically put the weight of dealing with the effects of disparities on Black and Brown people specifically. Right. Um, we can do a lot of this work, and I alluded to this before, but I just want to uh, make a clarifying statement to what I've alluded to before. Um, we can do all the work we want. Um, we can try all of the modalities that were created. We can look at all of the theories, um, but the structure has to change. Yes. Because yes. if the structure does not change, uh, then it does not make a way uh, for us to develop a new narrative uh, to change um, to change what we want to do. Um, I kept on alluding, well, I, I said that, you know, HIV is a, is, is a racial justice uh, issue, uh, but even more, uh, even more clearly, HIV is racist. And it's racist in a way that we don't always get. It's not a like a microaggression from a person. It's not a. It's not a. You know. It's not a. You can't get this job because of your name. Um, it's not. I'm going to shoot you in the street. It is. I'm. I think that I'm going to create a culture to make you feel nasty for doing things that that you're actually less risk. Uh, less risky than the other person, right? Because um, many times when people think about HIV, especially with black black people, um, sorry, they're cutting my grass. But <laughs> when people think about HIV, they think about it from this context of, oh, they must be nasty. They doing something mm -hmm. that everybody's not doing. Um, but science says different. Science says black, you know, black people, black gay men, black women are actually not as quote unquote risky or riskier than other populations. It's about community right. power level, right? right? It's about community power level. Black people have sex with black people. Black people live in neighborhoods with black people. If more black people have HIV and more black people don't have access to care to go get their HIV treated, and then they have sex like everyone else does with black people, they have a higher pop possibility, a higher probability of getting HIV. That is not because they're nasty. That is not because they're risky. It's because the structure doesn't have jobs in the area. It's because the structure doesn't, which that means they can't afford transportation. That, that means the structure doesn't have um, access to care for people to get into different places. Um, and that means the structure is really the problem. So we can talk about putting on condoms um, and getting on prep and all this kind of stuff, all this stuff that is really, really important. But if we aren't putting uh, medical centers in the middle of our hoods, if we aren't giving people jobs that give them 
uh, an appropriate way if we don't uh, give people the opportunity to, to feel comfortable in spaces where they're, where they're not black central spaces, uh, then what we do is we create a community of people that all they have to do is have sex and they're having sex just like everybody else with a higher probability of being that, That's real. That's real. I, that's real, real. I, I, I have a saying that I start saying is you can't clean dishes in a dirty sink. Yeah. And I want to get people mindset. Think about Think about one of the nastiest sinks you can find. <laughs> and all we're going to do is just throw some little dishwashing liquid in the sink. We're not going to clean the sink. We're just going to stop it up, put some dishwashing liquid in, and then we're going to take these dishes, and we're going to wash these dishes in this sink that hasn't been cleaned. You really think those dishes going to get the cleaning that they need? Mm-hmm. So until you either throw the sink out or clean the sink, the dishes will never get clean. So that's that's just the analogy I, that I've been using to, to get them to realize is structural things, like structural things were put in place in America for a group, a certain group of people to thrive. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So throw HIV in it and throw the disparities that black people have. So how do we find ourselves? Well, how do we get ourselves out of these, out of uh, the position where we're always victimized within the system to where we can actually thrive within the system? Because like you said, we tell, I remember having a conversation with a young girl, just not even just uh, sex with black people, but she was like, unprotected sex is wrong. I was like, well, if it's wrong, you're wrong because you got here because of unprotected sex. (laughs) Right. And so it's like... But being real, being realistic about it, being honest about it, but also if we're going to deal with disparities, we got to deal with it. Right. And Joe, I, re- I think it's more like, you know, the generational curses. Because when we were younger, most of our parents didn't talk to us. They just said, don't bring no baby home. My mom and daddy didn't even know how I got down. So I ain't got to worry about a baby. But you can tell me how to protect myself from getting STDs or what, what an STD was. And that's one thing like Joe and I do, we keep it real raw in the community with the people. And when we talk to people and they be like, sometimes we a little blunt, but sometimes you gotta be that blunt to some people because they don't know the severity of what it's gonna be. Like they try to show them cartoon images. A cartoon image is nothing like a real life image because you really need to see what's gonna happen to your penis or your vagina if something does come in contact with it. And it's something that we need to have people, and that's what I like about the organization we work for, is because we're in those disparity areas. We're in those hoods. We're in those different limelights. Joe and I walk down the streets with the commercial sex workers. We go into the HBCUs. We go into the PWIs. I mean, we're everywhere. We don't discriminate. And that's one thing I like about it, is because we have Black people, white people, Latin people, trans people, and we, we make events for them and do everything separately to keep up. But it's like, we got to give them the education. And I think that's where the breakdown is. For our structure to change, we have to have the people to get the education. And the education isn't there. Like, you have us four giving the education, but if it's just us four, we still have 48 more states to go. Yeah. So yeah. that's what I think we need is the people out there. If we talk about changing the structure, we need more conversations like this with other people to actually sit there and say, hey, what can we teach people? Because like Ian said earlier, how can you, you talk about different things and how can you, you can't do something till you normalize raw sex. 
but you got to tell people what's the difference is if you're having going out there and you're in a committed relationship a monogamous relationship and y'all are working towards something and you're both getting tested together things like that but people don't get that because most of the men out here that me and joe see i don't know how it is in houston but we get them that come in that backslide and next thing you know they with this male and then they with this female and then they got a girlfriend and a boyfriend and another person on the side and so those when you get into those different dynamics is what really brings us back to it because it's not about you getting hiv all the time it's about sometimes the people who have the hiv did you you got another std but did you tell that person that you got hiv so yeah. you're still you're not you're getting the education you're like oh, i only make myself safe but you're not caring about the other people that you're with yeah and i want to offer this i know titan you have something to say but i just wanted to make sure i um i responded really quickly to that um when i say normalize condomless sex i am really speaking to the thought of uh we got to take personal autonomy over our bodies mm -hmm. um when we talk about uh when we talk about black bodies being perfect and you know not like anybody else's body ain't perfect, but I'm just saying black bodies at the very moment, because many times those are the people who have the most problems with having a personal over their body. Um, the reality is we have to create a culture of being responsible over our decision, right? So yes. be nice, right? Mm -hmm. It will be nice as a, a person that's not living with HIV, for a person that's living with HIV for them to tell me, right? Mm -hmm. But have I created a culture that makes that okay? Mm -hmm. Have I created an environment that makes it safe for that person to do that? Have we as a people created a situation in which they don't walk away feeling even more broken before something that's supposed to be so liberating happens mm -hmm. uh, that they did before? The answer is no, right? So I am saying that that is appropriate. And people always want to say, well, it's legal, it's legal. Okay, but police ain't never, I mean, legal ain't never worked for us okay uh but that's a conversation but aside from that aside from that what happens when i am responsible over my body when mm -hmm. i'm responsible over my body i no longer have condomless sex with the idea that if they had something they would tell me i have condomless sex saying that i've done everything i could to protect myself since i'm probably going to do it anyway and i am going to be able to deal with whatever happens because i have personal responsibility over my body and so i do all of those things and it actually is a better way to reduce condomless sex than to say you know make sure they ain't got nothing well hell that's just that just mean that the person that you're sleeping with don't go get tested mm -hmm. <laughs> it just, <laughs> just means something burned they drink okay. water okay right <laughs> you you right though you right and that's what joe and i preach a lot is making sure you ask because one of our questions we ask the people is have you asked your sex partner when the last time they were tested have you yeah. asked them have they ever had an std have, have no you had those conversations and yeah. as y'all know you meet on jet grinder bgc scruff afa all them other ones and you'd be like 10 minutes and i got my date what's up yeah. i don't yeah. even know his name but you coming in here talking about he texts me that he's positive and he blocked me Oh, but did you bother to get to know? You got to take ownership in being being having sex as being an adult. That's yeah. why it's an adult act. And people need to be more ownership. And like you say, take ownership in it. Because if I go out there and get in an accident, I'm drinking and driving, I got to take on 
the responsibility that I took on to say I went out there, got drunk, got in the car and drove, got an accident. I could have killed somebody. I maybe mm-hmm. killed somebody. But you have to take ownership in that. And that's what the same thing we need to get back to teaching people that sex is the ownership. You got to take it and own your body and say, this is my body and I need to take ownership and this is what I'm doing. It's not nobody else's fault. We got to take ownership sometimes and asking questions and doing what we need to do for the for ourselves because we can only look out for ourselves. And that's the only person we can look out for really sometimes because we don't know. The other person might be lying just so they can get what they need to get. But you still got to take responsibility for yourself. I do like that. And I, and, yeah. I, and I do like that. Yeah, indeed, indeed. And I, I don't really have too much because uh, Ian pretty much answered the, uh, the question. I'm just over here just kicking on the inside about <laughs> 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 my brother always, he always got to tell it to you like it is. But no, that's, I, that's uh, the best way to do though. Exactly. And that, that's why I love him the way I do because we don't need to sugarcoat it. I think that um, what he said was true that um, we here uh, for some reason, even though, like he said, America is the greatest country on earth, that doesn't mean that we don't have issues or problems. But here in America, for some reason, sex is uh, vilified as something bad that you shouldn't do, that you shouldn't have. And if I'm a consenting adult and I want to be raw, I want to be sloppy, nasty, whatever it may be, that's my right. But as you stated and as Ian stated and as Joe, I'm saying, stated as well, we got to take responsibility. We cannot put it on the other person. That's just like me seeing my um, my lover cheat and I go fight the person that he's cheating with. <laughs> like, what, what, what am I doing? I should be fighting myself first because I allowed this to go on. I allowed this to go on. Nine times out of 10, you already know. Nine right. times out of 10, you already know. You already know what, you what got that happened. Okay, what's going on? The red flags then popped up. I say this all the time, and I'm gonna say this when I'm done. I say this all the time to my younger individuals, keep the lights on. You cannot see what's going on in your right. life, in your world, in your sex encounters, if that's what you want to call them, your hookups or whatever, if the lights are off. Because if you're in the dark, you don't know nothing. Right. Be in the light. You got to know your body. You got to know what's going on, what the possibility is for them. Uh, and then, But you got to know yourself. What you're going to put up, what you're going to do, check yourself. Um, I told someone um uh like you said uh matthias they um catch me at the store and they'll ask me a question and uh, he said well yeah da, 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 this happened i said well did you check first was there an odor was was something going on so sometimes uh like you said you gotta be a little radical but these are the things i think america has put it to where it's separate right you do the act but you don't have responsibility and so the the responsibility is you not the other person, it's you, yeah. pure, point yes. blank. And that's yeah. what I believe at the start. It's, it's America is so ironic. Sex is everywhere. It's everywhere. You can't turn on anything without seeing sex, 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 sex. Oh. Bruh, you sell fruit with sex. <laughs> but let's not talk about it. Do it, but let's that not is. talk about it. That is. So, all right, so one of, one of, uh, the normal anomalies initiatives is cultural humility, making sure that it's increased. So kind of explain to us and our audience exactly what cultural humility is and how you go about making sure it is increased within the communities that you work in, that you work in. Yeah, I, I love that question. I mean, I love all the questions. <laughs> um, cultural humility, you know, I don't think it's that new, but it's a pretty new concept. 
most people have heard of like cultural competence, right? Um, but the reason why cultural humility, we didn't obviously coin that term, uh, but the reason why we use cultural humility, uh, the reality is um, people only become competent in things that they're experts in, uh, and things that they have experience in. So many times when we meet different communities, and we're trying to get them to understand that, what we do is we go in and we throw out all this information at them and say, now you got to treat us better. <laughs> yeah. That's not how this really works. Let's be realistic in our activism, right? Cultural humility comes from a place and saying that you're probably not going to ever figure it out. It's probably not going to make sense. If you're a straight man that that thinks vaginas are beautiful, I'm not a straight man. I'm not a straight man, and I don't think they're beautiful. But I love women, right? I'm, we're not going to understand each other sexually. There's, I mean, you know, we're just not going to understand each other. And so, but what we can do is show some humility towards each other, right? We can come from a place of understanding that just because I don't understand it does not mean I don't accept your humanity. Doesn't mean I don't uh, grasp with your humanity. So if I can learn a little bit about your experience, um, there's a couple of things that come out of it. The normal anomaly, um, our first tagline was, we're a lot more alike than different. Um, and that's, that's the foundational principles of our cultural humility trainings. But the second thing is, uh, it really it really is about us being together. Um, yeah. None of us can be free until we're all free. Um, I say this, you know, when we're talking to, to white, in white spaces or white centric spaces um, that, you know, many times I don't realize, I don't think that everybody realizes that nobody's free until we're all free. Mm -hmm. The reason why, you know, I think about the insurrection just really quickly, I'm gonna shut up, but I think about the insurrection and I was telling Titan is, um, the insurrection wasn't against black people. Right. The insurrection was out of fear of white people losing power. Right. right? Yeah. And so when we think about that, that is the best analogy to the fact that until everybody is free, no one can be free. Everybody's at risk of losing their freedom until we're all free. And so cultural humility does come from that place of saying, you don't gotta get it. It ain't your life. Just be my humanist. That's it. Yes, yes. I um I I just really short. I when you uh posed the question, I thought about an answer and I had to be um on this part when I when I joined the normal anomaly. And what what I thought about was that we must look at um in the mirror and be aware of what's staring back at us. Because sometimes that cultural humility we don't have. We 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 don't understand. We don't know. And I mean, as a people, and especially since it's Black History Month, as Black people, we don't we don't we don't get it most of the time. We think that somebody is um, HIV individuals, uh, HIV positive individuals, or lepers. Like they should be put away in cages. They should be done this way or done that way. And sometimes we don't see that we're the actual problem, right? And so I think what happens is we want to acknowledge what the problem is. And also we want to identify the part that we've played 
in that problem. And we need to adjust and change that. So I think that's what the cultural humility is. Um, Ian and I um, had this great idea in the beginning, right? And we always tell this story that we were going to uh, do this um, um, whole PSAs and all of this stuff for our trans sisters. And we were out there like, yeah, look at us. You know, we're doing this for our trans sisters and blah, 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 blah. But we had not now, and I say now, trans person at the helm, at the, you know what I'm saying? And so we had to go back to the drawing board. We had to be, uh, uh, um, have a little bit of cultural humility because we were like, wait, okay. And it took somebody telling us, uh, tapping us on the shoulder and saying, you know, y'all wrong, right? Y'all got some, you have a trans person, you know, at the helm, did y'all talk to a trans person? And right. then it, so it was one of those things. And that's the greatest example that I can think of because we had all these great ideas. But culturally, or were we really showing cultural humility um, because we had left them out totally, right? And so with that being said, uh, we went back to the drawing board, brought them in, and we it, it was a better product because of the fact that we looked in the mirror and said, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're doing exactly what they have been doing to us. You know what I mean? Making programs, doing things that do not include us. So therefore, we had to go back to the drawing board. So I think that's what um, the normal nominee has been doing uh, from the beginning is making sure that we're all included. Like he said, being inclusive and making sure that we all have a place at the table. No matter what you're doing at the table, you got a place at the table. Yeah. I do agree with that because like when we was on a conference on one of the Ryan White conferences, um, I met some transgender women and we had a good conversation mm -hmm. and it was like, it was more like a cultural competency class on one of the things and the lady was like, how can I go somewhere and I don't see myself represented? Right. And I was like, you know, that's right. But she was like, I get it. A lot of people aren't educated. They're not yeah. there. They're not, they don't have the education. But she's like, that doesn't mean you can't train somebody or teach somebody. And so that's what it is about is like, I feel like people like me and Joe and you guys, we're willing to take that chance on somebody to say, you know, let me teach you because I can teach you a lot more than what the book can teach you because street smarts is different. You can go to school to be a nurse and have book smarts, but you don't have that common sense smart. Okay. And so, and, and we see it all the time with nurses and things like that. And, and some people, you, you got the book smart, but you're missing the, the realistic part right. or the part that's the humane part or the part that you have empathy for people. You're just saying, nope, this is it, this, this, this. Every time I tell somebody they HIV positive, I feel, I feel their emotion, their hurt. It could be the same thing over and over. I could tell three, four people don't have no connection to them, but I still feel their pain because it's different. Your life is changing at that moment. And people don't have that empathy and that respect. Or if you go somewhere, and I've been there, and I've done let plenty of doctors go, because once you figure out my sexual orientation, now you try to treat me differently or try to do things. Right. Right. Everybody should be treated the same. Exactly. And like even in our clinics, you even see, like, we got little rainbow flags at the window. You know what I'm saying? Letting people know that they're, you know what I'm saying? You got to let people know that they're wanted. They want to yeah. be there. And when you see people who look like you, you feel a little bit better. And sometimes yeah. it doesn't have the matter because I'm half black and half white, so I get it. So people think I'm Hispanic and they be like, hey, I'm like, hola, and I guess it. that's as far as we're going. It's hola, I can try to let me get somebody to help me. So 
So, I mean, I guess. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. I thought Hispanic. that. <laughs> I sympathize with the, the Caucasian because my mother is white and then my father is black. So I, I get from all aspects. And you know what I'm saying? With the racism yeah. things, I've seen both sides of it because yeah. I got to pick and I shouldn't have to pick. To me, when I was raised, my parents taught me that there's no color. It's just yeah. people. And that's the way things need to get back to. And it's like, until people understand that black people, white people, brown people, Hispanic people, we all go through the same thing. We just, other people have that picket fence and that facade that covers everything that's not aired. And certain mm -hmm. people stuff is just more aired than others. And so yeah. I think once we get past that and we can look into and people feel more comfortable doing things, because Joe will tell you, I will go out there in the middle of the night at the club and be like, hey, I need to see you. Let me talk to you for a second. You're going to have respect for me because I don't have respect for you. Because yeah. I took my time to find you. I took my time to educate you and talk to you. Trust me, they blow our phones up. My phone rings all day, all night from patients and things. But you got to let them know you care. Because once you yeah. show somebody they care, yeah, you got them forever. Whatever you need yeah. them to do, they're going to yeah. do for you. Yeah. And a lot of people just look at people as a number or mm -hmm. as a statistic or as a, I got a 15-minute appointment slot. How many times you've been to your doctor and he's been like, okay, well, you know, it's, it's about time. We got to hurry up and go. We take time with you and we sit there and talk and okay. you, know, so you don't feel rushed. And I think that's what a lot of times when people, especially when you become um, HIV positive or if you're out there and you got an STD, it's that time to take that time to educate people. Because if you don't educate them, they're going to keep coming back with the same thing. Right, nobody's right. teaching them. And we're not able to break down those, those generational curses because you see... Most people, they look at, and I don't know how it is in Texas, but here in Florida, you can sit there and have your mom, your grandma, and your great-grandma right there in the same thing, and y'all just about a 20-year gap, and everybody got kids. So mm -hmm. it's like, and they all on the system. It's like, well, let's try to get something better. Let's see how we can help you break out of that and get out of that fact that everybody's not going to be a basketball star. Everybody's not going to be football. Let's, let's get on these books and educate people. That's where I think we, we need to start going and changing. And I really like how uh, Ian said, change the structure. Because yeah, that's yeah. it. The structure, you get people who never been in the black community or people who never been around anybody with HIV that went into public health or never worked in a clinical setting trying to put in orders or say, this is how things need to be. But we work it every day. We know what it's like. I worked at the state and I only worked there three months. I promise you three months and I had to come back because I I can't work like that. You have to yeah. get everything approved and go through this and go through that and go through here. And then if somebody doesn't like it, you have to start all over. But right. they want you to talk about how to educate people. But then when you're talking about saying having anal sex or talking about raw sex or this or that, you're not supposed to say that. You're supposed to say abstinence Really? We want everybody to be abstinent. But honestly, if you look at the stats and you look at the numbers, it shows differently. So I'd rather teach you and educate you. I'd rather teach you and educate you on what needs to happen if you get in those situations and provide you with them. But like we even go into the schools and we can't even say condoms. We have to say other things like safe sex precautions and things like that. We can't enunciate the word condom. That's crazy. And tell them, and we can't provide them with condoms. They have to see us outside to say, hey, let me get you some condoms. 
So it's, it's the different factors in the breaks down that we have that that we deal with. And, and, and that's the sad part. So yeah. we all in the same fight and I think we fighting together. It's just that we can get other people on our same goal and right. our same vision. I think the world will become a better place. America will be be great, greater than yes. what it is. Indeed. I, I thoroughly enjoy both of you all's explanation and how you laying out and how you use cultural humility. Mm -hmm. And one of the main reasons is I'm the straight guy who got the job in public health and HIV AIDS who had no idea what I was getting myself into. <laughs> All I know, it was better than throwing newspapers at two in the morning. <laughs> and so, and I, I can remember because when I when I got the job, it was at the it was at the health department. It was under the 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 exact position at that time was sexual violence prevention program manager. Wow! But, but I had no idea that I would be ten toes down in the HIV/AIDS prevention unit. Right. So because that program was within the HIV/AIDS program, so. I've started one week, I'm on sexual violence prevention. The next week, okay, now let's get you all this HIV information. Right. And these are the populations that we're working with. Right. And so one thing I did was shut my mouth. I like to talk, but I had to <laughs> shut my mouth and I had to sit back and learn. Like Matisse is one of the people that I, I was able to learn from over the years as far as, as a straight black man, how can I be, how can I be an asset not just somebody who I hit just a talking head, but how can I be an asset within communities that I know nothing about? Right. And the one thing was shut your mouth and go learn. Right. Right. I, you know, you know, what's funny, uh, Joe, is that um, I tell people all the time that you have to sometimes just be a sponge. Yes. Right. Like 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 you have a lot of knowledge, you have a lot of this. But sometimes when you're going into arenas and this is what I had to learn uh, when Ian started taking me around places. Uh, uh, and getting me in the door, right? I um, was telling Ian, he was like, what'd you think about this and that? And I said, I just literally was a sponge. Uh, Ian told me one time, he said, um, you know what, brother? God forbid, but if you ever, something ever happens, I just want your tablets and your laptop because you take, <laughs> you take nope. like nobody's business. And I, I appreciate you for doing that because I have a lot of um, family members that are, um, I don't look at them as either straight or gay, right? They're just my family. Right. And that's I look at my friends, right? It only comes into play whenever we're talking about HIV and things like that. Oh, I'm straight. I, I wasn't asking about whether you're straight or not. I'm just wanna know, do you understand what we're talking about? Like, do you get it? So I appreciate you for saying, hey, let me just shut up and let me, let, let me see what's going on. Cause I'm pretty sure you got a lot of flack in the beginning uh, working with um, HIV, the LGBTQ community, things like that. And, and me and Matisse had this conversation all the time. It upsets me, but I I get what he's saying, but it upsets me, right? Because it's like for you to have to tell me, I have to be careful about being your friend, right? Because of the way people act, right? So for me, like from my back, first thing, man, anybody got a problem? They can catch these hands. <laughs> And you can think like that all you want, but then it's still at the end of the day, I, I, I'm not living Matias's life. I'm not right. walking in his shoes. So I got to shut up and listen to what right. he's saying and, and just see how I can be the best asset or best ally that I can be. Right. That comes from 
y'all know if you have a straight homeboy and you there, you the gay person, and y'all hanging out, y'all close, everybody gonna start talking with all right, that talk. Right. Oh, well, you know, them two getting down, them two this. And instead of putting him through all the pain and all the aggravation, because it could become messy, especially if you have girlfriends or, and then they know his girlfriend and then they want to get with him, but they know this. So, yeah. oh, well, him and this and this is doing this. So just to keep all that out, I try not to hang a line with a lot of straight men. And that's frustrating for me sometimes because most of my, some of my good friends are heterosexual. And so yeah. it, it frustrates me because I don't want you to get that backlash. Even though I know your wives or I know your girlfriends or even if you don't, I still don't want you to have to go through that kind of stuff because you're just hanging out with me. And I feel like I'm bringing that burden. So that's why he'd be like, well, what you talking about? And I was like, because you got to think of the mindset that people automatically see. Because when you see somebody out at the club or you see something, the first thing you say, girl, who is that? Yeah. <laughs> like, he get down. Like, right. so, you know what I'm saying? So you try not to put them in there. Now, Joe and I go out to the club and we do education at the gay clubs and everything like that. And you just got to be like, I'm like, Joe, be prepared to get these questions because this right. is what's going to happen. So, but, you know, people don't question or inform people who are heterosexual on the gay lifestyle. Like, you can't just go out in the gay lifestyle and sit there and look at people and be staring and then start laughing. You're going to get into a big fight. Right. So right. you just got to know how to approach things and, and how to acknowledge people and say things because you might think this is a woman, but it's not. Right. There's a lot of trans that pass for women. And right now the trans men are on the rise and they, I, you can't tell the difference between a trans man and a real man. Right. Between the facial hair and the deep voices. And I'll be like, you sure? Like I saw an ad on one of the things and it was like, we get periods too. And it, it just brought a light to my attention where it was all trans men and they had regular boxes on, like men underwear, but they had the period spot. So it was like when people was like, well, I don't understand. Men don't get periods. Those aren't men. That's what we need to educate people on, how people are changing. It's not always everything that you look at isn't going to be the same thing that you think it is. Right. And so it's just teaching people about the difference. It's a lot of different slang. Like Joe had to learn. He was like, well, what's the top and the bottom? But he's scared to ask people. But you got to ask the right people. Right. right. Because the right. other people can kind of coerce and do whatever they want to do. And so that's why I tried to teach Joe and other people that we get, like our interns. They really enjoy it because they get to learn and get educated on something that's not just a textbook, because the textbook version of LGBTQ is very small. And it's not really the realistic version. It's the back Paris is burning version. Right. And that's right. not the same. And how people say, well, I never knew that you could be a professional black man and still be gay. I thought you had to be dressing in girl clothes and this. And so it's just trying to change that culture. And I think that's right. what it helps when I have a straight person that's there and be like, you know what? And then here at work, my bosses buy into what we're doing and they support us. And gotcha. that's the other part because they want to learn. They're, they want to educate themselves. And I think now with 2021, I think people are more into that changing and saying, okay, it's time for me to stop being in this box. And like how Miss, um, what's her name? Miss, um, oh gosh, what's her name? Miss Jackie? Jackie yeah, she yeah. told us, you know what I'm saying? We're not in the box. It's not the new norm. This yeah. is our new normal. You know what I'm saying? It's the new now. So this is what people are ready to do and break out these boxes and stop putting people in about, oh, you're a gay man. This is it. This is all you can do. Or 
this is a straight person, this is all you can do. Or this is a white person, black person, so stop putting people in the box. And I think 2021 is going to be our year where we break out those boxes. Right. And the right. folks come, the sides come down and we all open up to be who we want to be and start living in our truth because more and more people are living in our truth. And it yeah. takes people like myself and you and um, Ian and Joe to really live that truth and say, hey, I'm here and I'm not scared. I'm here, I'm here in this fight. What are we going to do? Right. Where and are I we think, going from now? And, and I think you just hit it on the the, uh, the head again. I think we have to change the landscape. As Ian said earlier, as Joe has said, as you've said, uh, we got to change the landscape. And I think uh, I want to say this uh, before we get out of here, because I said this on my podcast the other day and somebody challenged me that it wasn't uh, black history. And what I want to say is that that type of thinking, um, HIV, AIDS, LBGTQ, hetero, uh, 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 homo, all this stuff is part of our history. And if we don't acknowledge the fact that it is affecting us or affecting us in a way that is killing us, you know, uh, we uh, talked about black bodies being in the street, like there, there, is, there has to be something wrong with that. And we got to get away from the fact that it's nothing wrong with it until something happens. And like you just said, educating and letting people know, because I'm constantly talking to, and I'm not even going to say my straight friends, right? I'm constantly talking to my uh, people in the community of how we've bought into saying things. Like um, I had talked to a guy the other day um, and he said, well, I, I, I went out with the guy and I really, really like him, but um, he felt me up in the parking lot. And then I said, well, what did you say? Or what did you do? You know, and he was like, well, that's just normal. No, that's not normal. That's not, we have to get away from that. So just like uh, the stigma, we got to stop HIV stigma. We got to stop all this stuff. So I just wanted to say to that, that our history is now, we're making uh, history right now and specifically black history. So I want to thank y'all for doing that. I know we got to get out of here, but I just wanted to say that before we do. Thank you all for changing the landscape. Um, and even if it's just a notch, right? We push that needle. <laughs> we push right. that needle. Exactly. Yeah, and I just I just wanted to end um, talking about history and, and thinking about all the work that we're doing. Um, I read a lot, but uh, the scripture, I've been like looking at it a lot and I had to just bring it up because I think it's a powerful way to, to end um, why we do the things that we do, no matter what our intersections are, um, or you know how we feel. Who, whoever is listening, I think this is powerful, um, and it's actually a, a Bible verse, surprisingly. From <laughs> but, um, it's in Second Kings seven, and um, this is actually verses three through four. Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there and we will die. And if we say, if we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. This particular story in the Bible is about the fact that lepers were not allowed into the city uh, because of their disease. And so that conversation was them saying, hey, it's a famine in the city. So 
if we go into the city, not only will we die of starvation, we will die because they will kill us from coming in the city. If we stay here for sure, we know we'll die. Yeah. But we got a little bit of a chance if we go into the other land and figure out if there is food and treasure over there. What was interesting about that story is the Arameans uh, were ran out of their city and left all of the things that they had stole. Um, and so all of the food, all of the treasure was in the city when the lepers got there. And the lepers then said, this is wrong. We can't be celebrating this without telling our city that they don't have to die from famine. And they went back to their city that they couldn't get in to tell the good news. I think the great news of that narrative is that who is going to bring us out of famine will right. not look like the people that were ever let into the city. I am called to be oh, say that's that. Real. That's real. That, um, you know, though they have counted us out and not let us into the city, I am grateful that um, where we are right now, we have found treasure and I'm telling everybody about it. How about that? That's real. That is real. Exactly. Look, we told y'all this episode was going to be powerful. So before we close this out, before we close this out, where can people find you? What's the website for the normal anomaly social media handles? How can more people contact you if they want to work with you or interview you? Yeah. So um, uh, the website is normalanomaly.org. Um, and you can hit both me and tighten up. We would we love to talk at founder at normalanomaly.org. Uh, we both are connected. Uh, the news is, um, and I thought, you know, Titan would tell it. It's it's bittersweet, but it don't mean Titan is gone. So Titan, Titan has been empowered to take a new position at a phenomenal organization. Um, and we have two new staff persons. So Titan will always be a part of Normal Anomaly, and he is on as a consultant uh, consistently. He always has a space at Normal Anomaly, such an integral part of it. Uh, but in that, um, we're always ready to talk. We're always ready to do work. Um, and I'm so grateful for Titan uh, being a part of this and being a part of the Normal Anomaly. But our, all of our um, social media is the Normal Anomaly. Uh, our website is uh, thenormalanomaly.org. And you can contact uh, us at founder at normalanomaly.org. He's Ian L. Haddock. He's Titan Capri. And this is Mind Your Body and Soul, greatest health podcast out here. Remember, Mind Your Body and Soul is an educational podcast that focuses on all things health-related to help our listeners learn more about the various health topics and information that they may or may not have access to. So we seek to inform, empower, uplift, and mobilize our listeners to become the healthiest versions of themselves. Remember, www.nmcpodcast.com. Catch us on YouTube. Anchor, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all those things. We'll catch y'all next season, man. This is how you close the season now. we we'll catch y'all next season. Yeah. Yeah.